So in Gordon Brownville's Symbols of the Holy Spirit, um, he writes about the great Norwegian Roald Amundsen. Roald Amundsen. He was the first to discover the magnetic North Pole. He was also the first man to tag the South Pole. Well, on, during one of his adventures, he took a homing pigeon. And when he got to the North Pole, he opened the pigeons, the bird's cage, and the bird flew home. So you can imagine what his wife thought and felt when she looked out the window one day at her home and saw the pigeon flying in circles above their house. You know she must have exclaimed, he's alive, my husband is still alive. Well, so it was when Jesus ascended, but the disciples clung to this promise that he may descend them the Holy Spirit. So what joy then when that fiery Holy Spirit finally descended at Pentecost. The disciples had then um, the realization and that continual reminder that Jesus was alive and victoriously at the right hand of the Father. And y'all, this continues to be the Spirit's message today. So let's hear how it all began. And I am reading this morning from a, oh, daggone it, well, I'll use the screen, uh, a different version called the Passion Translation. It is not one I am particularly familiar with, but as is oftentimes the case with a familiar story, hearing it in a new and different translation can sometimes cause us to listen a little bit better. Yay. So, and this is verses 1 through 15 and then some selected verses from Acts 2 added on. When Pentecost Day arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound from heaven like the howling of a fierce wind filled the entire house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be individual flames of fire alighting on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. <clears throat> there were pious Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. When they heard this sound, a crowd gathered. They were mystified because everyone heard them speaking in their native languages. They were surprised and amazed, saying, look, aren't all the people who are speaking Galileans, every one of them? How then can each of us hear them speaking in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, as well as residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia... Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the regions of Libya bordering Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the mighty works of God in our own languages. They were all surprised and bewildered. Some asked each other, what does this mean? Others jeered at them saying, they're full of new wine. Peter stood with the other 11 apostles. He raised his voice and declared, Judeans and everyone living in Jerusalem know this. Listen carefully to my words. 
These people aren't drunk, as you suspect. After all, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. And then he goes on to give a um, sermon from the prophet Joel. And then he winds up that sermon by saying, fellow Israelites, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene was a man whose credentials God proved to you through miracles, wonders, and signs, which God performed through him among you. You yourselves know this. In accordance with God's established plan and foreknowledge, he was betrayed. You, with the help of wicked men, had Jesus killed by nailing him to a cross. God raised him up. God freed him from death's dreadful grip since it was impossible for death to hang on to him. And then, therefore, let all Israel know beyond question that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the crowd heard this, they were deeply troubled. They said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, change your hearts and lives. Each of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God invites. Friends, this is the word of God for all God's children. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Through the written word and the spoken word, may we know your living word. Jesus Christ, our Savior, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Pentecost is one of those days of the Christian calendar that we celebrate by telling and retelling the story every year. And it is essentially the story of transition from Jesus to the creation of the church. And we know that a whole bunch of believers gathered in Jerusalem and they were awaiting this promise Jesus had made to them. After Jesus was resurrected, he taught the disciples for 40 days more. And then Jesus ascended into heaven and he told the disciples to wait, to wait on the Holy Spirit. This took 10 more days. So it was 50 days after the resurrection. Get it? Pentecost, pent, which means five, 50 days. Finally. Finally, on that 50th day, as they were all staring at each other, wondering what is going to happen, the Holy Spirit arrives and descends upon them like red flames of fire. Hence the color red as our worship color for Pentecost Sunday. And Jesus promises, his promise to the, the disciples and the believers was indeed fulfilled that day. The Holy Spirit was In fact, the arrival of God's presence in their midst, which they had been missing so dearly since Jesus had ascended into heaven. And with this gift of the Holy Spirit, the whole community of followers were now enabled to carry God's word about this risen Messiah to the entire nation of Israel and beyond. Christian community is now formed, and right off the bat, it is a global movement. 
And it is that gift of the Holy Spirit today that enables you and me to connect as Christian community and to boldly live our faith out in the world. How? Well, the Holy Spirit is that spiritual connector between our heart and God's, our heart and one another. And it is God's gift to us, the church. It is what we celebrate this Pentecost Sunday. So, I think it's important to also connect the dot that three, these three significant events have happened back to back that need to be looked together as one larger movement. Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, wouldn't have happened if Jesus hadn't ascended into heaven to be with God. Ascension wouldn't have happened if Jesus hadn't been resurrected, signaling the end to his earthly ministry. Pentecost is essentially the final event, the end chapter of this Easter season. And what a powerful event it was. As you heard the story, there are a couple of things that I think become apparent to us. First of all, something has indeed happened that has never taken place before. It is something amazing. All the people um, here, the Galileans, who are not known, by the way, for their eloquence of speech, talking in all of their native languages, and they are confused. I don't know if you noticed the verbs in the scripture. Bewildered, amazed, over and over, um, Luke goes to great pains to tell us that the folks are confused. The gospel is being proclaimed so all can hear it. However, it's incredibly overwhelming, crazy confusion at first. And then Peter, Peter, the unlikely one, takes over, breaks it down for everyone. Essentially, he preaches the sermon of a lifetime for him, at least year to date. And he makes the case that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, and that Jesus has been raised from the dead into heaven um, and that this Holy Spirit has come just as Jesus has promised to guide their way. Once again, God keeps God's promises. Thanks be to God. The other thing that is abundantly clear is that this is unsettling to the Jews that have gathered around. Witnessing the power of the Spirit blow among them is unexpected and it's disruptive. So how do they react? Like any group of people in a church would with unpredictable, uncontrolled spirit-induced behavior by some of its members, they accuse them of being drunk. (laughs) Right. I always chuckle at that part. I think it's amusing. But at the same time, it also makes me sad. It reveals our human nature reacting honestly to the power of God. And I've seen it many times before. The spirit starts to move. We're no longer in control and our natural tendency is to resist it. We scoff at what we see happening in the lives of others in the church. Or we find some explanation or even look for reasons that we can dismiss that which God is is of God that God is pulling us towards. Because oftentimes it's directions we don't really want to go. 
But I bet, I bet you can think of an example if you really reflect on it when you resisted something that was ultimately a new direction that God was trying to take you or the church in. I know I can personally. And yet that's what we see happening at Pentecost. Here's what's interesting to me about this human nature dynamic. We so long for God's power guiding us and to have God's wind at our back. And yet we oftentimes look for that power and that energy in all kinds of interesting, but not necessarily godly places. We're exhausted and we seek to boost our strength, but we do it on our terms, using our means of power. Missing the long-term solution, we settle for the short-term quick fix. Incidentally, did you know that more than 20,000 people went to the ER in 2011 with anxiety and rapid heartbeat seizures or heart attacks after downing energy drinks? This was twice the number that they, than they had experienced just four years before. More than half the patients had negative reactions to the drinks alone, like Monster, Red Bull, Rockstar, while others experienced trouble after combining them with either alcohol or stimulant prescription drugs. A spokesman from the American College of Emergency Physicians said, people don't realize the strength of these things. Because you see, we're searching for power and strength from somewhere else. Mm. What would it take? What would it take for us to recognize and then trust that the best source of power we can depend on is that of the Holy Spirit? That the Holy Spirit provides for our power and our power needs and that Pentecost, the event and story of Pentecost was just the beginning of that power source in action. So John Piper explains how God has unleashed the power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost for us to grab hold of. Picture a huge dam. For instance, um, the Aswan High Dam in Egypt. But a, a giant hydroelectric power um, dam. Picture it under construction. So um, this uh, dam on the Nile is 370 feet uh, high and 11,000 feet across. So in 1953, Egypt's president, Nasser, announced the plan for this construction. They finally finished it in 1970. So in 1971, there was this grand dedication ceremony. And then at that time, all 12 of the turbines um, with their 10 billion kilowatt per hour capacity, which is mind-boggling, were unleashed with enough power to light every single city in Egypt. Now, during that long time of construction, the Nile River wasn't completely stopped. Even as that large reservoir was filling, part of the river was allowed to continue to flow past. Because you see, the country folk downstream depended on it. They drank it, they washed in it, they watered their crops and turned their um, uh, mill wheels and they sailed on it and they wrote songs about it, they enjoyed it, they needed it. It was their life. But on the day when the reservoir poured through the turbines, 
A power was unleashed that spread far beyond those few folk that were downriver and brought possibilities that they had only dreamed of. See, Pentecost is like the dedication and opening of the Aswan High Dam. Because before Pentecost, the river of God's spirit blessed the people of Israel and was their very life. But after that Pentecost moment, the power of the spirit spread out to light the whole world. None of the benefits that were enjoyed in that pre-Pentecostal days though were taken away, but with 10 billion kilowatts being added into the mix, it enabled the church to take the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ to every tongue, tribe, and nation. And I love this analogy. I love this analogy. The Holy Spirit empowers us to know Jesus, to be inspired by Jesus, and to love and be loved by Jesus, which charges up our personal lives each and every day. And this is not just a biblical story that happened thousands of years ago and means nothing to us today, no. But much like we rehearse the birth of Jesus, we also rehearse the birth of the church, and with good reason, because this origin story helps us understand better who the church was meant to be, and a reminder that all of us are meant to be a part of it. So after Peter proclaims the story of the risen Christ, the people ask, how are we to respond to this? They were convicted. The spirit was moving in their life. They are moved to action. And then Peter instructs them, and this is from the Passion Translation. Repent and return to God. Then you may take hold of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then you may take hold of the gift of the Holy Spirit. For God's promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and your families, for those yet to be born, and for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Peter is not just speaking to those amazed Jews gathered in Jerusalem that day. His inspired sermon reveals that this Holy Spirit power is intended for future generations as well. But the question I think arises comes from that verse 38 near the end. When, when we wonder, how do you take hold of the gift of the Holy Spirit? Because if we stop looking for that power in the wrong places, if, if we recognize the power production the Holy Spirit offers, then how do we get plugged in? I think we take hold of the Holy Spirit by yielding and being filled by it. So speaking to a large audience, Preacher D.L. Moody held up a glass and asked, how can I get the air out of this glass? People started responding, you can suck it out. Use a vacuum and suck it out. Moody responds, yeah, but that would create a vacuum and it would eventually cause the glass to break because of the, the suction. Well, other people offered suggestions and eventually Moody just smiled and he picks up a pitcher and he begins to pour water and filled the glass with water. There, he said, all the air is now removed. He then went on to explain that um, our victory in the Christian life is not accomplished by sucking out a sin here and there, but by being filled 
with the Holy Spirit. I dream of a day, I dream of a day when our church and all the people in it are filled to the brim with the Holy Spirit. I dream of a day when we allow the Spirit to power up this church by filling each and every person within it. I dream of a day when we are no longer afraid of the direction the Spirit might be trying to take us in because it's unexpected or different. I dream of a day when the Holy Spirit is as familiar to us as our favorite scripture verse or our favorite praise song or our favorite hymn or as common and welcomed in our midst as a glass filled with water so that we can trust the Spirit and go where the Spirit might be leading us. Now friends, this is a particularly hard time as we think about the direction of our denomination. But more importantly, what is the Holy Spirit doing here in our own church? That's what's really on our hearts. That's what we're most interested in. Here's what I don't know, here's what I do know. I don't know exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing in her church today except that I sense the Holy Spirit is moving. There is movement happening. But I put my trust in what I do know. I believe so fully in that metaphor of the dam and the power of the Holy Spirit that I trust and know the Holy Spirit is able to power whatever it is God is up to and that it is our job to do the hard work of figuring out how to be faithful to God's Holy Spirit, how to yield and be filled by God's Holy Spirit. And I have to trust that if we do that, if we do that, then the rest will work itself out. But the wind is blowing. Can you feel it? Can you hear it? Hold out your hands so that you can be ready to take hold of the Holy Spirit. Get ready, because here it comes. Amen.